Did you have a chance to watch the HBO series Westworld? It's been called an ambitious and highly imaginative drama series set in a futuristic fantasy park known as Westworld. In an intriguing article in Spiral magazine, we learn that Elena Pakutova has watched the series keenly and brought past and future together in the present in her imagination as she was preparing an exhibition on the 8th century Indian teacher Padmasabhavna. She writes, As I was working on the exhibition The Second Buddha, Master of Time, and thinking about how the past shapes our present and future, I was captivated by Westworld. I was struck by how the ideas explored in Westworld resonate with big existential questions addressed in Buddhism, including the interconnected nature of past, present, and future, a core concept of the exhibition The Second Buddha. The exhibition focuses on the legendary Indian Buddhist master known as the Second Buddha. He is credited with concealing his teachings as treasures throughout the Himalayas, in caves, within solid rock, under pillars in temples, in statues, even in the minds of his disciples. He intended for his reborn disciples to discover these treasure teachings in the future, when they were most needed, and the circumstances for their discovery were ripe. Dr. Pakutova tells us the journey of the main character in Westworld, Dolores, serves as an allegory for a person searching for a former identity to understand who she is now and what she is meant to do. Over the course of the show, compelled by external and internal circumstances and guided by visions, Dolores searches for a maze. By discovering it, she learns who she once was. This powerfully told story connects to stories of Padmasabhava's reborn disciples searching for his hidden treasure teachings. Also, we're told the structure for a quest, remembering the past to change the future, is a known plot device in science fiction literature and movies, as we know. For example, Paycheck, the 2003 film based on Philip K. Dick's short story, draws on this concept as well. These two examples from contemporary visual culture and the stories of Padmasabhava and his treasure revealers from Tibetan culture, she says, illustrate the notion that the past, present, and future are interconnected and we can influence the future, demonstrating that these ideas are part of our shared thinking and perspectives on existence. While the past gives us a sense of perspective that helps situate us in the now, everything we do is really about the future. Highlights from an article in Spiral magazine titled Westworld and Hidden Treasures by Elena Pakotova, who is senior curator of Himalayan art at the Rubin Museum in New York. What is so exciting is that Dr. Pakotova brings with her the deepest and most careful scholarship and research, and that's to all of her work at the Rubin. But like the museum itself, she is committed to making connections between even the most ancient objects and us today. There is also recognition on the part of the Rubin that Himalayan, Tibetan, and Inner Asian art and cultures are underrepresented in various disciplines in higher education today. As a result, we have the opportunity to spend time engaging richly with Himalayan art in a traveling exhibition titled 
gateway to Himalayan art with works drawn from the Rubens' impressive collection. We had a chance to speak by phone with Elena Pakotova, senior curator of Himalayan art at the Rubin Museum, and William Crow, director of the Lehigh University Art Galleries and professor of practice, art, architecture, and design there about the important meeting of cultures and institutions. Dr. Crow. Lehigh University Art Galleries is an academic campus-based museum, and so because we are based at a university, teaching is really central to everything that we do, but teaching not only for students and faculty, but for the wider community. We're completely free and open to the public, and we, we very much see our role as a convener or a bridge between campus and community. You know, we we really believe that having these great works of art, both in our permanent collection, but also visiting or loaned works of art, as we're fortunate to have in this project from the Rubin Museum, they really have the great potential to support diverse perspectives. You know, we we live in a moment where I think we can all benefit more from understanding others' points of view and others' backgrounds, and particularly areas of the world that maybe we have not learned as much about in the past. Several years ago, we revised our mission statement at the art galleries at Lehigh, and our new mission statement is to advance critical thinking, cultural understanding, and well-being for campus and community through transformative experiences with art. And and we really believe that this project, Project Himalayan Art and Gateway to Himalayan Art, it really checks all of those boxes for us. It is a, a way for us to advance all aspects of our mission and, of course, also just a, a wonderful opportunity for us to to learn and, of course, get to expand our own networks with great colleagues at other museums. One of the most exciting things about this conversation to start is the chance to learn about the Rubin Museum. Elena, please introduce us to the institution. Well, the Rubin Museum of Art is actually a new museum. We opened in October of 2004. So you can say we're kind of still um, teenagers, but we are actually quite well known already in New York and globally. And our collection comprises art from Himalayan regions, Tibetan Plateau, Nepal, Bhutan, but also culturally related Mongolian and Chinese regions. And our exhibitions, programs, publications, and now podcasts explore the rich cultural heritage, the art from these regions, and making all of that basically relatable to our own experiences today. So we also advance the understanding of the art and cultures from these regions and Project Himalayan Art, which is the larger initiative of which the Gateway to Himalayan Art is just one part of, is what we are trying to accomplish this year. And it's an ongoing, a long-term project. And we're very happy that Lehigh University and the galleries are our first venue to share this with the students and faculty, and of course the public who will come and visit. So one important thing about the Rubin is that we're not just an art museum who just um, kind of presents the art and talks about intricacies of understanding what is depicted, but as I mentioned, we are trying to interpret 
and explore the rich meanings embedded and represented by this art from various cultures, such as Buddhist culture, Hinduism, and also indigenous religions from, from these regions that the art represents, and make them relevant in terms of kind of unlocking universal ideals and feelings, concepts that everyone can relate right now. And I think in terms of learning and communicating such ideas through art, Lehigh has a really good record of doing this, as William just mentioned, and I think it's a natural alignment here that we can we can actually build upon. And hopefully this exhibition will be used in teaching, which it aims to be a resource for teaching, and also encourage people to learn more about this very interesting, in my opinion, very interesting and rich cultural expressions that can benefit everyone. I'd love it if you could give us a sense of the range in terms of media or specifics about the exhibition itself. What will we find? What are the categories as we make our way through? Well, the exhibition is designed after our permanent exhibition at the Rubin, which is also called Gateway to Himalayan Art, which main aim of is to introduce visitors who know nothing about um, Himalayan art and cultures to, to this art. And it is structured in such a way that it is used as an entry point. Um, that's why the title is Gateway, so that people can connect through looking at the object and understanding the meanings behind, and then learning how things are made, created, and then understanding the purpose and function and the larger context of all of these objects, right? So exhibition is created with this in mind and has three broad sections. First one is called Symbols and Meanings, where we unpack the forms and visual language in which this art is depicted. Uh, what you see, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and various deities and so forth. And then in the second section, we talk about the processes or techniques with which the art is created. So people can actually understand how the tanker painting or this particular form of a hanging scroll um, created in Tibetan Buddhist tradition is made from scratch and then appreciate even more what they see in front of them. And in the, for example, and on the third, third section, we talk about living practices in which we try to convey that all of this art is not just created because someone wanted to create it, and of course they did, but most of it, if not all of it, was actually commissioned for specific reasons and purposes. And it's also a living tradition that's still going on. It's not something that has been created in the past and then died out, and now we're looking at this empty relics. Not at all. It is actually a very vibrant living tradition that is still practiced in many of these regions uh, I mentioned earlier. So I think giving that scope and diversity of these themes. You can find here painting, sculpture, in metal, in wood, some clay objects as well. And even ritual items that are not necessarily considered works of art, but are integral part of the cultural life or religious tradition that is represented 
in the arts that we share in the exhibition. So it could be of interest not only to people who are maybe studying religion, Buddhism or Hinduism, and are fascinated by how to tame your mind and develop skills in meditation and so forth, but also for people who just study art. We have a very extensive explanation and presentation of the process of metal casting with the lost wax technique, which we commissioned in Nepal from a well-known Nepalese foundry and a workshop. They created each single object to demonstrate a process in each stage. And I think that could be very interesting for people who do art themselves or who are just curious about how all of these objects on view are created. And then we also have an interesting, may not have been um, a usual view, probably at Lehigh Galleries, an installation of a Tibetan shrine cabinet, which is inhabited by sculptures. It even has some incense sticks that are lying there and um, flickering battle lamps to kind of give a sense of how all of these objects, which we just explained, are actually used and displayed in the cultural context as a part of a household shrine, for example. So I think that could be interesting for people who study anthropology or, again, history, or just interested in different cultures in, in Asia in general. I think that could be something that can engage with. There is also sound touch to the shrine where you can hear the chanting of monks and nuns that's going on. Give a little bit more of a multisensory experience of how it might be to enter this kind of shrine room in the household and, and see what's going on. William, how have you and your team approached arraying these items and building to the shrine? How will we make our way through the galleries? <laughs> Well, we're, we're very fortunate that Elena and the team at the Rubin Museum of Art have so thoughtfully designed the exhibition, but also with an eye to the fact that this is a traveling initiative. And so it's been a conversation over the past months or even years now of thinking about, you know, how will this exhibition fit in Lehigh's art galleries? What are the things that are really essential in terms of maintaining the, the arc of experience for the visitor through the exhibition? And, and then what things might we need to adapt for our own spaces? But I think also, as Elena just so eloquently put it, it's, it's such a perfect title of Gateway because it, it truly is such a remarkable introduction to the arts and culture of this diverse region. But, you know, I think so many people that will be coming into this exhibition may not have ever traveled to this region or they may not be very familiar with these objects or these figures or these histories or belief systems. And, and we think that it's really such an opportunity for us for everyone to have a chance to see themselves in this show. And it, as Elena said, it might be through the materials, technologies, and techniques. It might be through a different discipline, such as history or philosophy or religion. Or it might be through um, materials and process that, you know, even though I've spent a lifetime working in art museums, sometimes the process of making a work of art can remain remarkably invisible if, if one doesn't see it in different stages. And so this really is such an excellent opportunity for people to see, you know, how, how is a painting made? How is the lost wax technique, how does it work in terms of uh, sculpture in this culture and in this region? 
So we, we think it's really an experience that everyone will enjoy and and also is is an opportunity because Lehigh is fortunate to be the, the first venue, but also the only venue in the mid-Atlantic region for this traveling initiative. So we hope everyone really comes and, and enjoys it and takes advantage of it. Well, I also wanted to add to this kind of brief walkthrough of the exhibition is that even though the exhibition is just one part of this larger project, Himalayan Art Initiative, visitors and students and professors can actually access all three parts of it through these integrated components that we built in, which are accessible through QR codes within the exhibition on the label. So you can actually hear someone speaking about a particular theme within the exhibition or go online and then learn more, maybe read an essay that talks about a similar type of object and get a broader context that or if a student is assigned to do a research on a particular topic, they, they can use all of these resources, including the exhibition, but also the publication in the online platform. So the voices of the people, the book, and the online platform are another kind of layer of the exhibition that is accessible to everyone who is interested. And I think this is one of the most exciting parts, I think, for me, because the exhibition in the very initial conceptual framework existed at the Rubin, but this is much more that we're offering right now, and we're really excited to see how this happens at Lehigh, and hopefully we'll get some feedback and make it even better. And Elena, would it be possible to pick an item? It's unfair to single out one, but something that would speak to you that you could describe to us and we get maybe an audio picture of what we'll encounter. Just one? No, <laughs> as many as you would like. Maybe we can talk about the painting which depicts the will of life or will of existence, which actually is, in a nutshell, a depiction, philosophical summary of what is the Buddhist view on existence is, because it contains everything. It is meant to be a reminder for people who come to visit a shrine or a temple to contemplate this. So it's, in a way, very instructive in nature. So usually they would be placed on the outside walls of the temple, so whoever is coming through has necessarily have a glance at it at least. And it's sort of a diagram that explains the cyclical process of life, death and rebirth, which is known as samsara, and it depicts this kind of scary-looking figure who is a lord of death, who grips a wheel, um, and within this wheel, in the very center at the hub, is a depiction of three different animals who represent mental poison, which are attachment, depicted as a rooster, anger, depicted as a snake, and ignorance, depicted as a pig. And then in the next circle... Uh, which is kind of divided into light and darker shades. There are people going up and down, and that depicts the movement from higher states of consciousness to kind of more baser and afflictive states of consciousness, which kind of based on the karmic deeds of the people, because their actions polluted by the poisons propel them in this continuous cycle of birth and rebirth. And the whole wheel is divided into six different segments, which depict the realms of existence. At the top are gods and demigods, and then there are humans, 
animals, hungry gods, and also hells. So in Buddhism, people live not only in this life, but as you know, may have left, lived a long time before in, in a different form probably, and then born in humans. And the human birth is the most fortunate one because it allows us to be aware of our existence and do something about it. Because even gods who are at the top in this depiction, right, they're, they're so, according to Tibetan traditions, they're so content in their existence, they don't even think about what's going to happen. But the karma of being a god can end, and then they can be born anywhere in this cycle, right? They could even be born as animals or born in hell. So that's kind of the, the explanation. And the will's outer rim represents the symbolic chain of causality, or in a way, how the consciousness is manifested through birth and becomes uh, kind of entrenched in physical existence. So that's a kind of awkward explanation of the will of existence, but I think it contains very particular depictions that Tibetans embraced, but are fundamental to Buddhism and also universal, because, as, as you know, existence is, is very fragile. Everyone eventually dies. And then the only way to advance yourself, according to Buddhist thought and practice, to a higher existence or a existence without suffering is to commit good deeds or accumulate good karma. So that's also one of the things that we explore in the third section of the exhibition, and we talk about merit or accumulation of merit. Elena, the Rubin Museum, as you've been making clear to us, is dedicated to making sure that we make connections between pieces from the past and today. Our programs explore all of these very important topics, which I think are quite pertinent in these times. And the podcast is called Awaken. We had two seasons of it, which is seems to be very popular and very, very happy that it's popular, is picking a lot of the themes that deal with these ideas of awareness, understanding, relation of our inner world to the outside or how, or how to deal with the outside and balance the emotions that we may have in order to just be a better human being in a way. And... I also wanted to add that I think for Lehi, because wellness is one of the main themes of our focus, right? William, mm-hmm. you can, exactly. you can add something. We, we've included in this iteration of Gateway uh, a few objects that deal with wellness, not necessarily with wellness as we understand it in this 21st century, but presenting it as uh, something that Tibetan culture has developed over centuries a holistic understanding of well-being, which is based on balanced living and uh, balance between our mental states, environment, our habits, our food, our diet, as well as medicine. So it's not just really about medicine as the things that fix what ails us, but much more holistic in terms of prevention, balancing mind and body, and curing the cause of disease rather than the symptom. 
I think that could be interesting for people at Lehigh as well. Exactly. And I'm, I think, Elena, you did such a wonderful job of describing some of these works of art that very much focus on kind of the cycle of life or incarnations uh, beyond this life. But we absolutely are taking advantage of thinking about how do we uh, achieve well-being now and in our own lives. And, and certainly, this is something that all of us are thinking about very deeply as we try to emerge from the pandemic, which is, you know, what is our quality of life and how do we achieve balance and what does balance even look like? And so, this exhibition and this project as a whole is such a great opportunity and catalyst for us to consider what does that look like for us individually and collectively to have well-being. And we also believe that, you know, beyond this specific project and exhibition, we believe that experiences with art and in museums can help us achieve well-being. And in fact, there's even a growing body of research around this that you know, that taking time to be in places where there is arts and culture, to be in shared spaces where we can connect with one another and not be isolated, these are the types of things that can have great impact on ourselves and our families and our communities. And so we're very fortunate at Lehigh that we have a new College of Health just a few blocks away and a number of faculty researchers and partners that are also helping us think about you know, what does well-being look like? And with this particular exhibition, you know, how can we really seize this opportunity to think about well-being broadly? We want to end with a celebration. Tell us about what's in store on the 17th, William. Oh, I'd be delighted to. On Friday, February 17th from 5 to 7, we're having an opening reception and also a celebration of Losar, uh, Tibetan New Year, And so this is an event that's completely free and open to the public. We'll have food that connects with different cuisines of the region, great works of art in this exhibition, and also hands-on activities that connect with the exhibition. So we hope that everyone will join us on Friday the 17th here at the Art Galleries at Lehigh. And then the following day, we are having a free drop-in community day from 1 to 3 p.m., which is geared towards young people ages 5 to 12 and their adult companions. Um, Any age um, is welcome, and it's an opportunity to drop in to see the exhibition and also to do some creative art making. We'll be making batik-style lotus flowers and other activities related to the New Year uh, animal of the water hare. So I hope that Everyone will join us, and we we have a wide array of free programs that are going to be available all throughout the spring semester. So we hope that everyone will visit our website at luag.org so that they can see what's happening here at the galleries. I also wanted to add that we also have an annual publication we call Spiral Magazine, which roughly comes out either in February or March. I think this year it comes in March to coincide with this new exhibition that we opened at the Rubin on March 17th. And this year, it's the theme of life after. So in, in this publication, we also explore multiple avenues of addressing a particular theme, like life after, for example, which could mean not only the afterlife, but life after pandemic, for example, or life after um, giving birth to someone or 
just transitional moments in life in general. So that could also be of interest to public. And it's available online. This is free magazine. You can probably get it anywhere in New York. But also, if you come to the Rubin, you can pick it up and um, enjoy. Elena Pakutova, senior curator of Himalayan art at the Rubin Museum of Art in New York. And Dr. William Crow, director of the Lehigh University Art Galleries and professor of practice, art, architecture, and design, speaking about the important meeting of cultures and institutions in connection with the current exhibition, Gateway to Himalayan Art, that will be on exhibit to May 26th of 2023 in the Lehigh University Art Galleries and there will be associated with the exhibition a special celebration of Tibetan New Year, Losar. From 5 to 7 this Friday, February 17th, food and music from the region, and the event will be held in the Zollner's main and lower galleries, the Zollner Arts Center. For more information on the web, luag.org, luag.org. That's Gateway to Himalayan Art until May 26th at the Lehigh University Art Galleries featuring Himalayan art, including works from the Tibetan Plateau, Nepal, Kashmir, Bhutan, and areas of northern India and Pakistan. For more information on the web, luag.org, luag.org. Org, and this is a traveling exhibition presented by the Rubin Museum of Art in New York. For more information, luag.org.